Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Buck Sexton here with you. Thank you so much for joining. An honor and a privilege. Oh my, we got quite an election tonight. Quite an election. Um, We will be on air when the polls close. So it is my hope, although if it's really, really close, it may go way, way later. (laughs) So and this it could be I'm seeing polls all over the place. But you have Doug Jones versus Roy Moore. We're going to find out tonight on this show. Hopefully we may get a little extended, but. Uh, who is, in fact, the next senator from the great state of Alabama? Uh, so we will have that to wait for and, and discuss a bit in anticipation of the, the verdict of the people of Alabama. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Really want to know what you think about this whole situation. Uh, Alabamans who are listening? If you're not, some of you might be calling from cell phones in line to vote. So I'd, you may be a little busy you're finishing up the workday and trying to get in and vote. And I think you all know that this could be an election where every vote counts and the whole country is very much watching it. This has become quite a political battle. You've had celebrities weighing in. You've had the whole national media focusing on Judge Moore and the accusations against him for weeks. So tonight we find out what the uh, reality of that whole situation in terms of the election will be. Um, Some other issues to talk about as well, just to give you a sense of where we are going on this wild ride together tonight or whenever you're listening to the show. Uh, There will be we we will discuss the latest information on uh, uh, Akayed Ullah. I'm hoping I'm, you know, there are most uh, generally speaking in, in cases uh, that involve jihadism because the names tend to be uh, often are Arabic. Uh, I'm pretty good with the names, but I do not. Uh, I do not. Sp- I, I, I Bangladesh is outside my my area of expertise. So Akayed is he's the first Akayed that I've ever come across. Uh, so if I'm mispronouncing the name, uh, sorry for that. I can't say that I'm I have any background or expertise in that. Anyway, Akayed Ola is. Uh, there's more information about him and and the immigration component of that discussion is important. That's what we're going to get into in just a moment here. Talk some policy, right? You come to this show, you're giving me your time. I want to share uh, analysis and research and information with you, not just blah, blah. Roy Moore is going to win. No, he's going to lose. No, he's going to win. We've got more than that to do here, and we will today. Uh, also, the dust up between Donald Trump and uh, Kirsten uh, Gillibrand going to ask the rest of the team here what they think about the 
allegations of innuendo in quite a Trump tweet this morning. Um, And so we will have that to discuss the possibility of another special counsel that is out there as well. People are discussing this now with uh, greater seriousness, I believe. Donald Trump Jr. wants a leak inquiry because I think he knows that somebody in closed door classified testimony, somebody decided to leak all that information. It was wrong, but somebody thought they could score real hits on Trump, uh, well, in this case, Trump Jr., by leaking information about what was said in a closed hearing. And that's not allowed. That's illegal. So Donald Trump Jr. knows that if they push for a leak investigation there, not that many people probably in the room, not that many suspects. Wouldn't that be interesting? I can hazard some guesses as to which members of Congress would be the most likely to um, be under the microscope on that one. But I will withhold judgment until we know a bit more. Um, And also last night I was, well, I was going to say last night I had a quick segment on Fox to discuss the revelation that not only did a member of Mueller's team meet with Fusion GPS, but that member of the team's wife is involved with working for Fusion GPS. Gee, what a coincidence. Uh, but first, let's get into the this. Uh, like I said, we, we the, the polls are open right now. Alabama's clo- Alabama polls close. Alabama doesn't close. We're shut down. Everyone go home. Alabama's polls close in an hour and, f- you know, in basically two hours. So we'll be on air here live and uh, we'll try to bring you some updates. Um, but right now, it's a lot of exit polls, which exit polls exist so that media networks and organizations have something to say while they're waiting for the actual results to come in. So not really anything I'm seeing there that's all that interesting just yet. But I want to talk to you about the, uh, and, and I knew this would happen because there were no casualties from that, thankfully, no casualties from that terrorist attack yesterday with Akayad Ullah that we have almost entirely moved on, right? There's very little sense that we really need to have a discussion about that incident, which, as I keep reminding everybody, is a suicide bomber infiltrating midtown Manhattan and almost taking out perhaps dozens, scores maybe of people. If he was better at device at explosive device construction, creating his S vest, suicide vest, you'll notice people aren't using this terminology, right? He didn't build a pipe bomb thinking that it was going to just, you know, singe his hand and his tummy a little bit and not hurt anybody, right? He thought he was going to get a big boom, shrapnel, he'd be, you know, in a million pieces and he'd kill a bunch of innocent people, maim a bunch of people. He was a suicide bomber. No one's saying it. He was a, he was an, an attempted suicide bomber. And where it's already faded out of the headlines, even though now there's there's more chatter, more calls for ISIS sympathizers to engage in similar attacks. Here's what we know. This is once again, this terrorist attack in New York City straight out of the playbook. No surprises really whatsoever. He uh 
radicalized by reading things online. It started a few years ago. He saw things about the Islamic State, and he, as a fellow Muslim, identified with the struggles of jihadis in the Middle East and then also felt some animus toward Trump, uh, said that he wrote a note saying that Trump could not defend his country right before, I think he posted that on Facebook, right before he attempted this suicide bombing. So it's everything we think. ISIS sympathizer, radicalized online, uh, did some overseas travel. We, we haven't gotten the full readout yet on what that was, but did some overseas travel. But here's where the, the policy discussion comes in. How did this guy get here? Why was he here? Why did we have Midtown Manhattan, a uh, 10-minute walk from where I'm broadcasting to you right now? Why was it shut down in, the, in a busy rush hour morning in the holiday season? Why are people terrified, running away? How did all this happen? And it turns out that we were told today um, by uh, Francis Cisna, who is uh, on, at Homeland Security, and he's the uh, basically ch- chief on immigration issues. And he said, that it that Ulla was really, in a sense, his presence here was the result of both the diversity lottery and chain migration. Two inexplicable policies from the perspective of making things better for the American people. Two ideas that the more Americans of all backgrounds, of all, uh, you know, from from all over the world. Not from all political persuasions, because the left has become a an open borders diversity over all else party. And diversity just means people from the third world coming into the country in large numbers when it comes to immigration. That's what that's their view of diversity. It's obviously not ideological diversity. And that's what they think of as diversity. But other people, I know a lot of immigrants who when you ask them, they're like, yeah, I went through a tough process to get here. And I had to show skills and, you know, there are different ways that immigrants come into the country. But Akayed Ola came here because of the diversity lottery and because of chain migration. And when you hear the specifics of it, uh, it, it's pretty astonishing. Um, Here's what uh, Francis Cisna said today in the West Wing in front of press about how this terrorist was here in the country. suspect in yesterday's bombing came in under the most extreme remote possible family-based connection that you can the suspect in yesterday's bombing came in under the most extreme remote possible family-based connection that you can have under current u.s immigration law that being the child of the sibling of a u.s citizen so there you go he Found a loophole in the immigration system. I mean, it it was he was allowed to be here. Keep in mind, he was not an illegal allowed to be here. And this is a moment where the administration, I think, can and should make its point and has been trying to about how we really need to rethink some of our immigration policies. Here's what Cisna said about that. It is my view. It is our administration's view uh, that that is not the way that we should be running our immigration system. A system like that. Uh, that includes something like the diversity visa program. These extended family categories are not the way anybody would design this immigration system if we could start from scratch today. What we need is an immigration system that is selective. We want to be able to select the types of people that are coming here based on criteria that ensure their success, criteria that ensure their ability to assimilate successfully in our country. 
That, I should note, that whole section where he talked about, and it was a really, this guy was very squared away. He's like, look, I'm not, I'm not talking about ideology radicalization. I'm just talking immigration policy. That's what I'm here standing in front of the press corps and speaking to as many Americans as are paying attention to this as I can. And his point was that this makes no sense. That we have, think about it, right? Think about this logically, everyone. And, you know, we just had a terrorist attack. It wasn't even averted. It just, we got lucky with the incompetence of the terrorists. But it's a, if you want to come to this country and you don't have family and you don't win the diversity lottery, you have all kinds of stuff you have to go through. You have to you know, prove your skills and prove your background. There's a lot of hurdles. And it takes a long time. It takes money. It takes effort. But if you're somebody's nephew, you get to go to the front of the line. Well, being somebody's nephew does not necessarily make anything better for the rest of the people in this country. I mean, I don't even know how I think about it. how is it even possible. Right? It's one thing to say immediate family. We don't want to be breaking up immediate families. And I mean, what I would say about that is that, well, then you should apply as a if you're applying you know, as an immigrant, right? you apply as husband, wife, kids. That's it, though. No grandparents, no second cousins twice removed. That's it. And then they get to evaluate that family as a group. But this notion of this chain migration thing is just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And it's what's even crazier. I know it's only 50,000 people a year or so. I look at the numbers. I'm keeping it in perspective here. But 50,000 people a year just... Yeah, we don't take a lot of people from your country, so let's just take some some ran- literally random. Okay, it is random. I'm not. Let's take some random people from these countries that generally don't produce a lot of people that get through the immigration system otherwise. Uh, how is that a good idea? But the most telling part of the uh, of the whole exchange today was when Cisno was trying to say, look, people, you want to bring in immigrants from a policy perspective. Remember, we're talking about in the aggregate. There are wonder, you know, there are wonderful people from every country in the world, hardworking. You know, you'd want them as neighbors. You want to be your friends. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying, how do you structure policy for a country of 320 million people? That's $20 trillion in debt. How do you have an immigration policy that keeps social and ideological cohesion going here because america is an idea and also doesn't overly burden the americans already here paying a lot in taxes and with future obligations that we can't really pay trying to structure policy that will do that and when you look at the the faces of these journalists when he's like when, when cisna from dhs and speaking on behalf of the trump administration here is saying listen guys you know we want people who are here who can compete and contribute right away. And also, maybe there's just maybe a little uh, a radicalization issue that we could address as well. <gasps> what are you saying? How could you? I, I have to hold this point until after the break. I'll talk to you about just, you know, radicalization and everything else. Um, and, and then we'll talk about the Trump tweet from this morning. I've got all I've got eyes here. Ty and Amy are also watching all the monitors on the Alabama race. So just don't worry. We're on it. Nothing yet. We'll talk to you about it. But I want to hear what you think. How do you think this has gone? What do you think about Roy Moore riding in today literally on a horse? <laughs> okay, if you didn't see that. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Light up those lines, everybody. Let's talk Alabama or whatever else you want. We'll be right back. Okay, team, I, I meant to buck sex in here. I, I meant to finish the thought before, and I just wanted to get to it. And then we've got 
lines lit up all over the place. Be patient with me. I always get sad when we get all the lines lit, and then I go, look, we'll get to it right out, and then and then they all, because no one else can call in once they're all lit, and then they all drop over the course of a commercial break, and I come back, and there's it's like, womp, womp, there are no calls. That book is sad. So please, stay, and, and I will get to your calls right after the next break. We, we have to go into a uh, what we call a hard break here in just a moment. So I want to finish my thought, all right? I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to, you know, cool off the jets, go back into neutral, and then we'll come back from the break. Um, but here's what I want to say about this. The reporters in that West West Wing room today, the press briefing, were aghast at the notion, aghast that maybe bringing people from countries that are deeply different from ours culturally and have no skills with which to uh, compete in what is increasingly an information-based economy here, might, because of disaffection, frustration, and the ideological proclivities of their home country, be, may, he didn't even say, may be more susceptible to radicalization. And the room's, oh, oh, what are you you saying? I mean, all these questions, this flurry of questions. I want to say, you know, guys... You know, you're all sitting here. I know that, well, they're journalists, so like half of them went to good schools. But, you know, I know you went to like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I said it. You know, you know you're sitting here. You're thinking you're all fancy journalists. I mean, are we, are we really going to pretend? Are we really going to pretend that there, there's no, in, in terms of the percentages, in terms of the possibilities of jihadist radicalization, which is what we're talking about here, okay? Islamic extremism, that... Taking someone, and um, there are lovely people from the northwest frontier province of Pakistan, the NWFP. I'm not saying there aren't. There are lovely people from there. I, I have I have met, I have spent time with, in my time in that part of the world, people from the NWFP. But I think that people, for, that, that, that the population of, I don't know, Luxembourg, oh, you pick European countries, you got to be careful these days. Of Luxembourg, less likely to produce people who are going to radicalize for a whole bunch of reasons than somebody from the Northwest Frontier Province. And I'm I'm picking extremes purposefully here. But if you were in, if you were in that brief, oh, what are you saying? Are you saying that somebody who 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 comes from the you know the tribal regions of Yemen is more likely to radicalize than a a, a an immigrant from uh, Taiwan with a, a PhD in computer science. I mean, percentage-wise, yeah. I, I think I think we kind of are. We're kind of saying that, right? Are we? No, we're not. All, yeah, I think we're saying the journalists were f- so flustered by this notion. Yeah, that's right. Less likely to get jihadists from Taiwan than from the tribal areas of Yemen. This is just it's just fact. I didn't say it's impossible. Some guy from Taiwan could show up here, see some Alaki lectures. It's ideologically based. It's not ethnically or otherwise based, but it's ideology. But just just even going near this, oh, how could you? How could you, sir? Well, because he's in charge of immigration for the Trump administration for DHS, and he actually knows some stuff. All right, we'll take in your calls right after. Stay there. All right, lines lit. Let's get into it. Uh, Donnie in Florida. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. What's up, Donnie? 
Hey, Buck, I hope that and whenever uh, Roy Moore wins this election, I hope he trailers that horse right on up there to the Senate building and rides him up there and ties him up to a hitching post and let them know that the people are still the people that rule this country, not a bunch of politicians or fake news media. The, the optics of that would be strong, I think, from a, a state perspective of riding the horse. People seem to like it. I think people do, and you know what? I believe he needs to take him on up there, tie him up to a hitching post, and let the fake media get out there and find something wrong with that, like they do on everything else that Trump and Moore and all the rest of them are doing. So, so Donnie, can I just ask you, you don't, so you don't, you don't believe any of the stuff that they're saying about Moore in the past that was uh, uh, unacceptable and, and, you know, underage girls, all that? You, you're, you don't believe any of that? No, I don't believe it. And back then was a whole different time. I mean, back then it was okay for girls to get married at 14. But do I think he done? If he said he didn't do it, you got to take the man at his word. And why is these um, people coming out of the woodworks now? He had to run for all kind of offices in Alabama. He's been a judges and everything else. And they, they ain't no sense in this. Well, who do you think's going to win, Donnie? We're going. Well, Roy Moore's going to win, I believe. I don't know about a landslide. I hope it's a landslide, but. You know, you had old Barack Obama. They said that he was out trying to get the uh, African-American vote, so we'll have to wait and see. Maybe they even voted for one more. Who knows? Uh, all right, man. We will see what happens. Donnie in Florida, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, David in Alabama listening in on WBUV. Hey, David. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm all right. Thank you for calling. I, I my uh, uh, Amy tells me that you are... In line to vote, or you were just now? Um, no, I'm no, I'm not in line. I'm driving to the polling place now. Oh man, this uh, is the hot seat. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just don't know, man. I I can't vote for uh, for Doug Jones because uh, he's irritated me. I mean, I can't vote for a Democrat anyway. But the last week or so, with the mailers they've been sending out, um, uh, I'm an African American, so I got the the race baiting mail that was sent to my house really take me off. I wouldn't have voted for him in the first place, but... Wait, well, tell us what was, what was sent to your house. Now. What are you talking about? Because, you know, out here, we, we're not... The rest of the country doesn't get to see the real day-to-day of the what they're doing down there in this race. Yeah, so they sent out this mailer that um, that basically said, um, you know, if a black man had had assaulted a girl, at, at a 14-year-old girl, would we be trying to make him a senator? And they had a picture of a black guy sitting there with his face kind of screwed up. It wow. made the national news media... Yeah, so, I mean, I, I saw it, I looked at it, I went back and showed my wife in the house. I said, can you believe the junk that's coming to our email, I mean, to my, to my mailbox? And I found out later that it was demographically sent out just to, you know, just to African Americans. So, I mean, my white friends didn't get it. I checked with them. None of my white friends that live around me or in the area got the, got the same mail that I got, but my, but my black friends did. So that kind of ticked that me is, off. That but, is, oh, oh, that is race but, baiting. That is incredible that they would do that, but I guess it's a dirty race. Yeah, but you know, I, I just I don't know if I believe Roy Moore. I listened to an interview that he gave to another uh, conservative uh, radio host, and uh, and that that re- that interview creeped me out, man. I I think he's a liar. Uh, I I think that um, I think that he's guilty of a lot of what they say. Um, just from the answers that he gave, I didn't I didn't pass judgment on him um, until I heard from him, and then when I heard his. His interview, I, I thought that he convicted himself by that by that interview. But that David, can I, can I ask together. you? And and again, I, I know. Look, I know that it is a 
This political race down there is is a mudslinging contest. It's a dirty political race. So a lot of stuff's being said about you know about. I'm sure. I mean, I didn't even know about this mailer you just told me about. That's that's. that's I gotta look, look it up, man. It, it, oh no, I, Ty, Tyrone was was uh, was giving me the nod and saying that it was on uh, it was on Fox last night. They had it, so I missed that one. But yeah. what I want to ask you is this, David. So, Eve, let's assume for a second that you feel like. This is great because you're you're kind of. I mean, can I? Are you are you conservative generally? Is that? I mean, you're listening to this show. I've 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 always voted conservative. I voted for one Democrat in my life, and he was a blue dog Democrat. So, gotcha. I mean, okay, I've so voted conservative. So, so we've got here. We, here, this is great because it's kind of an experiment we can do on the show here all together. So here we've got a uh, a uh, conservative who is struggling with the decision on his way to the polling place to cast a vote for the next senator from Alabama. And he's saying that he he believes that there's shady stuff about Roy Moore's past. I think fair to say, David, you're not sure how much of it's true, but you just think that he's not being totally forthright in his that, total denials, that's right? Accurate. That, that's accurate. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's but but so now here's where I, here's what I got to ask you. So, how do you feel about the Trump agenda and the rest of what is at stake here versus your? desire to to send a message that you just can't support somebody who is who has been dishonest and has uh possibly engaged in uh immoral unethical and even criminal behavior in the past how do you and, and i want to hear it i mean i know this is not an easy thing but tell me how do you balance what, that what i'm what i'm what i'm rationalizing in my head right now you know i could go in and i could cast a a, a, a write-in ballot for uh, colonel busby you know he's a third he's a he's a write-in candidate he's probably going to get five percent of the vote or something like that but at that point it would be a wasted vote um it's my duty to go vote so i'm gonna go vote i can't vote for the for the democrat because i don't agree with him ideologically at all um and i'm gonna end up voting for Roy Moore. i mean i, I know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna hold my nose and do it because the stakes are high. Um, who do I want on the Supreme Court? That's, you know, he's gonna he's gonna vote more toward my agenda and what I want passed than than Doug Jones will. Um, you know, when we've had worse people in the Senate. I mean, there is a Democratic senator that passed away recently that um, I believe was directly responsible for the death of a girl. So, I mean, I think we all know Ted Kennedy was was a creep. So. Anyone listening who doesn't know the story of Chappaquiddick, just please Google it, and you will. If you don't already know the story, you'll never be able to look at the Democrat Party the same way. So, so you know, I, you know, the, the the place is a cesspool, and I, I think I'm just going to participate in sending another creep up there, honestly. But hey, I, look, I, I appreciate you airing out your internal struggle here for all of us to. Because, look, I, I think there are a lot of people listening, David, who, and we have a, a strong contingent down in Alabama listens to the show, so they're actually having to engage or not engage in this voting process, right? It's not just a, an ideological exercise for them to say, well, I would or would not vote. They, you know, like you, David, they actually get to vote in this. And and I know it's it's tough for some people because, you know, look, I, I wish Mo Brooks had won. I'll just put that out there. I like Mo Brooks. But anyway, he didn't win. Right. And I hear you, David. I hear your uh I hear your your back and forth on this. And look, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for the call. Thank you for sharing your decision. Shields high and uh honored to have you joining us here. Uh let's get one more call before we go into break. But by the way, I want to know how many of you listening right now are in or, or if there are any of you listening who are in the you're torn about it, but you're gonna you're gonna vote more anyway. 
Or even if you're somebody who's listening, who's like, look, I don't live in Alabama, but that's how I would vote if I were in Alabama. I'm curious if that's a how widespread a sentiment that is among uh, this audience. I, I would I would want to know. I'm wondering about it because, you know, there's some stuff that there, there there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here. A lot of moving pieces. You know, this is where we could just I could just rely on radio jargon to uh, prevent me from. Making any analytic errors. Uh, Felix in Florida. Save me from myself here. What's going on, Felix? Hey, how you doing, Buck? I'm hey, good. Ca- cast, cast iron skillets high. Indeed. Hey, I, I, my thought, I actually wanted to talk about the uh, shooting in Arizona, but my thoughts on Moore is this. I think that he is innocent because two of the women, as far as I'm concerned, have been discredited. Uh, as far as dating 18-year-olds, you know, I've known, I've had friends uh, where these situations, you know, a guy uh, like 38 married a 19-year-old. They were married for 50 years. He passed away recently. No, I, I don't, I just, to, to be to be fair, Felix, I don't think anyone's raising uh, 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds as a problem here. And, right. And I, I will say, though, the media has been doing something that, look, they're, they keep bringing up 16 and 17-year-olds in the context of Alabama at the time to suggest that Roy Moore had a uh, predisposition, a a whatever, a, a tendency is a better word, to date young women when he was in his 30s. But the age of consent in Alabama at the time, and I believe still is, 16. So they're talking right. about non-criminal behavior to point to the alleg- to, to give greater credibility to what would have been criminal behavior with an underage girl who was 14, right? So that's... right. Well, you see, the thing of it is, is the the one with the yearbook, that's been completely discredited because, again, the assistant that signed her divorce, uh, this, you know, that he dismissed, uh, she stamped his signature and put the DA behind it. Okay, so there's so much about that, and they never turned it over, and she even admitted that she, you know, did some writing on there. So as far as I'm concerned, she's discredited. Then there was Debbie Wesson Gibson or whatever her name was. One of the other ones, I believe she said that uh, Roy Moore gave her alcohol on a date, and she worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign doing sign language, worked for Joe Biden, and there's pictures of her and Joe Biden online, and she's a member of the resistance. So there's two already right there who are discredited. Plus, I came across a guy who uh, claimed that his wife on her Facebook had gotten messages asking women that they would be paid $1,000 to make up lies about Judge Moore. I haven't heard anything about that. So that would be a first. Yeah, I, I found it online when I Googled the whole thing. I scrolled through a bunch of things. I came across a guy. Uh, and, of course, he was a Trump guy because his handle was Magasar. All right, all right. right. So we're, 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 getting, we're getting a little deep into the rabbit hole here. I, I don't know what we're talking about, Felix. So you well, got you to gotta uh, bring but, it back to what we can all discuss. You had right, some thoughts okay, well, real quick before I let you go. You had some thoughts on the cop shooting? Yes. Um, I'm sorry. When I watch this thing, I get really angry. They set this guy up for failure. They were playing Simon Says with him. Simon Says with him. And unfortunately, what was at stake was his life. You know, there was no way that he was going to walk out of there the way that this whole thing went down. And I'm so surprised that these cops were not found guilty of murder. And hopefully maybe the feds can go in there and charge them with something, a cruel and unusual punishment, because this is just, this is incredible. I hear you, Felix. Well, I, I agree, man, because I, I wrote on the hill.com about the, this and I was uh, happy to see that it got as, as much um, 
uh, as much readership as it did because I feel very strongly about it and, and conservatives need to not just feel like, oh, well, a cop says his life was in danger, so that means that he can shoot somebody. That That's not, the standard is also a, a reasonable person standard on the circumstances, not just, well, the cop said he felt like he was in danger, so that's okay. And I'm sorry, but they had that guy in that hallway, they were watching him crawl, they were listening to him cry, there was no way that guy was about to reach for a weapon from his position, and that the shooter, Brailsford, afterwards said that, in the police report that he thought he was trying to get into a better angle to shoot him is just that, that that's classic after the fact trying to create a pretext for the shooting. I mean, there's it was just nonsense. No, no person with any knowledge of ballistics or policing or anything could could say that. But he was trying to cover his buck because he uh, he just shot somebody for no reason, really. And yeah. that's why and and I feel very strongly that. about it. So I'm not the only one. It's good to hear from you, Felix Shields. Hi. Uh, I we got to run to a break here. If you're on hold, stay with me. Roy Moore, the election tonight. Doug Jones v. Roy Moore. Who wins? We'll know, hopefully, before the show is out tonight. And 844-900-2825. What are your thoughts on this? And also, we're going to talk about Trump sent out a tweet this morning. People, people paid attention to it. Got the media in a, in a tizzy. It was... A per, it is being claimed by, I was going to say by some, by many, that it was a sexist smear against a possible Democrat presidential contender. Is that in fact the case? We will be on that case after the break. Stay with me. Headline on Fox News is sexist smear question mark. So I guess it would be sexist smear. Oh, gosh, this tweet this morning with Trump, this got. It's got a lot of attention. So here's here's what it was. Trump tweeted. Okay, no, sorry. I'll just read you the tweet. Light. This is from Donald Trump. This is the president of the United States. Um, this is not me speaking. This I'm quoting the president, the commander in chief of the most prosperous, powerful country on the planet. This is what he wrote this morning. Lightweight Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a total flunky for Chuck Schumer. And someone who had come to my office, quote, begging for campaign contributions not so long ago and would do anything for them is now in the ring fighting against Trump, very disloyal to Bill and crooked and then used in all caps. Uh, This now wait, now Sarah Huckabee Sanders addressed this today. I think only if your mind is in the gutter would you have read it that way. And um, so, no, Hunter. No, it's not. It's it, when, when he went to say, what he said was open and it, it was not mind. He's obviously talking about uh, political partisan games that people often play and the broken system that he's talked about repeatedly. This isn't new. This isn't a new sentiment. This isn't new terminology. Uh, he's used it several times before. As I said a few minutes ago, he's used it several times before uh, referencing men of both uh, both parties, in fact. And so I think that there, if you look back at the past comments he's made, it was very clear what his reference was. Sarah Huckabee Sanders not, not backing down on that one at all. She's saying, you know, sure enough, uh, sure enough, it's not not meant to be in any way the innuendo that many have been saying all day that it is and this immediately brings up a whole 
discussion about Trump and sexism and all that stuff. So there is that. This was like one of the biggest news stories today. You know, yeah, they're finding out more about a guy who tried to blow up Midtown New York yesterday as a suicide bomber. But I mean, let's let's talk about Trump's tweet to Kirsten Gillibrand first. That's been the attitude for most of today. It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, Mark in Alabama. Welcome, sir. You're on the Buck Sexton show. Hey, Buck, how's it going? I'm good, man. What's going on? You're in Alabama. Tell me. Tell me about the sights, the sounds. What's happening? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm part of the uh, vote today. So uh, I figured I'd give you an Alabama perspective. Yes, please. I, uh, they talk about the SEC divide between Auburn and Alabama. Try household when you're talking about uh, possible uh, allegations against somebody as uh, a sex molester or a child molester. And, and so it's been a big discussion in my household. And uh, like I got told uh, your screener, you know, my vote today uh, necessarily wasn't for more. Um, it was for the Republican Party and keeping the agenda going. And it's just... Uh, I think that's what this election is going to come down to is is staying on track to uh, to vote the agenda more than it is the person. And that, uh, you know, it, it it's too close in the Senate. And if we want to sit here and see the Senate stalemate for another 18 months till 2018 for the election, it's either that or we're going to end up with being so close that we get these special interest groups like Senator McCain who wants to... Uh, you know, use his vote as a, a, a leverage to get what he wants on his way out. I just think that uh, when it's all said and done tonight in Alabama, I think that Moore might not win by the 21 points that Trump did, but I think that he will be a five to seven point winner tonight. All right, we got a prediction and a voter in Alabama here who tells us that he cast his vote for Judge Roy Moore. Mark Shields, hi, man. Thanks for calling in from the state where all this is going down tonight. Uh, we will have a reporter. On the ground in Alabama, right? Isn't he joining us? Yes, that's right. Coming up here to tell us what's what's happening. Any last-minute political shenanigans? Anything going on here that could affect turnout, etc., etc.? All that. The Roy Moore-Doug Jones fight. Coming up. It is election night in Alabama. Doug Jones versus Judge Roy Moore. And the polls will be closing within the hour. We're getting some exit polling coming in, but as we know, you can't trust exit polling. But what is happening down in Alabama? How does turnout look and what's it like on the ground where this pivotal Senate race is being decided right now? We have Jim Faraday joining us, anchor at News Radio 105.5 WERC in Birmingham, Alabama. Jim, great to have you back. Great to be back, Buck. All right. Tell me what's going on, Jim. How's it looking down there? Well, I'll tell you, we have a lot of folks making it out to the polls. We're getting reports from all over the state about a stronger-than-expected turnout. And uh, interestingly, you'll get some reports indicating that the turnout is very good in places that would be favorable to Doug Jones. And then a little while later, you'll hear the same thing about areas that are reporting a very strong turnout that would be beneficial to Judge Roy Moore. So... The bottom line is that the turnout is better than expected. That said, the Alabama Secretary of State is expecting the total turnout to be around 25%. A lot of folks are going to think that's low given all of the publicity that this race has received, although it's possible that uh, they will adjust that turnout uh, higher as the night comes in and the, the votes start to trickle in. But Secretary of State's office felt that pretty confident that it would be around 25%. Uh, it is a special election, of course, and so the turnout's going to be lower. 
Uh, folks just are not accustomed to coming out in the middle of December in an odd year for a major race. How long will it be? I mean, once the polls close, do we have a sense? Of, and I know it could be very, very close, right? In which case, all bets are off. But right. when will we? When would we know? Let's say, let's say uh, Roy Moore wins by f- six or seven points, clear victory. How long before we could actually probably have that information here? If that is the case, then we should be able to call the race by nine o'clock central. Okay. If he, if he has a clear, convincing margin beyond recount range, by 9 o'clock, we could call that race. Of course, if it's much closer, uh, then uh, we go later. Uh, but um, the, the more campaign, uh, they're expressing confidence. They say that they're getting good turnout in the rural areas of the state where they have a very strong following. They've been able to identify and mobilize their supporters, and uh, some of that... Uh, Exit poll data has been trickling in. Some of it is favorable to Judge Moore, especially uh, I, I did see one piece of information indicating that most of the voters made their decision before the allegations of misconduct were reported by the Washington Post last month. So people are, or at least voters at this point, seem to have been set in their decision-making process despite the tremendous press. I mean, it has been saturation level uh for when it comes to news stories about judge Moore from the national media i'm sure from the local media as well with that in mind jim what what has been the what's been kind of the the last pitch if you will from both sides today in terms of what have they been doing what were they doing on the campaign trail and what was their last summary message for the voters of alabama on on election day well of course uh both of them were urging their supporters to get to the polls Uh, Judge Moore was pitching this as uh, an effort for Alabamians to decide the election, not outsiders, not outside money, and that he could be counted on as someone to support President Trump and the Make America Great Again agenda. Uh, Doug Jones has tried to downplay his Democratic Party affiliation. None of his commercials mention the fact that he's a Democrat. He has not brought in Uh, national Democratic figures to campaign with him, even though he was an Obama and Hillary Clinton supporter. Obviously, that would be very damaging politically in a state as Republican and conservative as Alabama. So Jones has been trying to pitch himself as someone who can work across party lines to get things done. In the past 24 hours, though, they did allow uh, robocalls to be made by former President Obama and Vice President Biden but those specifically targeted Democratic voters uh, that they knew would be receptive to those appeals. I see. So they're using, for example, the former uh, former President Obama's voice on robocalls specifically as a turnout mechanism for registered uh, for registered Democrats, as opposed to a last minute pitch to centrists, which they figure might backfire. That's right. Uh, I mean, we, we should uh, bear in mind that. Uh, Obama uh, lost Alabama convincingly by large margins in 2008 and 2012. Uh, So he's never been popular in Alabama, except maybe among uh, Democrats. And uh, so they wanted to target that very carefully. Of course, President Trump has recorded a robocall for Judge Moore. And uh, that robocall has also been uh, circulating across the state. The Alabama Republican Party uh, purchased time on radio stations and ran the robocall in its entirety as a standalone commercial uh, appealing for 
uh, voters to go out and support Judge Moore uh, and the Make America Great Again agenda. We're speaking to Jim Faraday, who's an anchor at News Radio 105.5 WERC in Birmingham, Alabama. Tonight, obviously, is the big election for an open Senate seat in Alabama. Uh, Jim, one more for you. In terms of the undecideds, uh, we've had people calling in who are on their way to the polls. Uh, and we have others writing in who are saying they're still thinking about it. Still, And I'm like, well, you don't have too much time to make a decision one way or the other. Uh, what were the polls saying about the undecided vote? And also, what can you tell us in terms of your own anecdotally from what you're hearing about on the Republican side? Are there a, are there a lot of fence sitters or are most Republicans that you've spoken to committed one way or the other? Well, I'll tell you, Buck, in the closing days, Uh, Of course, like in many campaigns, you're battling for a smaller and smaller piece of the pie when it comes to those undecideds. But the polling information that I had seen uh, in the past few days indicated that the undecideds were swinging heavily to judge more by a better than two to one margin. So that may have accounted for the fact that, you know, putting aside the Fox News poll, the other polling that came out in the closing days indicated that Judge Moore was opening up a lead anywhere from a few points to as many as nine points in the Emerson College poll uh, seemed to suggest that the president's uh, very strong endorsement uh, helped swing some of those undecided voters behind Judge Moore. Jim Faraday of WERC in Birmingham, Alabama. Sir, thanks so much for joining. Good luck tonight. We appreciate it. Great to be with you, Buck. Well, it's uh, so so Tyrone. So they're not going to finish. Then we're not going to be able to call. Oh man, I thought maybe if it were not close, we would know when you know within half an hour. We're not going to know tonight on the show. Uh-huh. No way. I thought we were. Yeah, no. Yeah, I know they got to tabulate votes and stuff. I got all excited about this. Now I'm sad. Now it's like someone took away my whole milk and my chocolate bar because I'm sad. Um. Yeah, we're not going to know on the show. Darn it! I thought I could break the news to you one way or the other. So. So there's that. Um, okay. <laughs> but but still hang out. We have a lot to talk about here. I'll tell you, hey, what do you think about the Judge Moore situation, everybody? We're not going to know who wins. So tonight, you might as well get on your prediction now because by the time we know the truth, it'll be tomorrow. And hey, you know, old predictions, nobody will really hold you to them. All right. Cynthia in. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we go to calls, one quick thing. Uh I saw the most interesting exit poll that I've seen so far because they're just flashing them up on the screens here. You know, I'm here with Ty and Amy in the hut, and we've got different uh, channels on. Obviously, no audio, but I can see on the screens. Most interesting exit poll so far is positive or negative view of Mitch McConnell. Oh, this isn't going to go well for me. I'm I'm feeling sad about the possibility of uh, what's going to be said in the poll. Uh, and yeah, not good for Mitch McConnell in the poll that I saw. I'm not sure if it was of, I guess, yeah, I guess it would be of everybody leaving the favorable, unfavorable 64% of Alabamans had an unfavorable view of Mitch McConnell. 14, 14% had a favorable view. Now I know somebody's saying, well, Buck, if they're asking Democrats, maybe they're all, you know, but, but there's more than 14% Republicans who are voting in Alabama, everybody. That that may be a uh, a differentiator here. That may be a um, that may be the difference maker. Not just whether or not you believe the allegations against Moore, but also the sense that a vote for Moore is a repudiation of 
uh, a diktat from D.C. and the Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan establishment wing of the party to not vote for more. People are sick of getting told what to do. We know that that's been true about Trumpism all along, and it may be what we see as the deciding factor here in Alabama. We will have to wait and see about that. All right. Um, Cynthia in Georgia, thank you for waiting and listening on the Blaze Radio. What's going on? Well, I'm just calling to let you know what I think about this Roy Moore situation. Yes, indeed, ma'am. What um, do you think? I don't think it's unusual for a man his age to date a teenager. My grandfather dated and married my grandmother when she was 16 years old, and he was 28. So, Cynthia, we have to be clear and precise here about what we are and are not talking about. And I mentioned this before. When you say teenager, 18 is a teenager, technically, but 18 is legal to marry, fight in any war. The only thing you can't do when you're 18 is drink or, or rent a car, pretty much, right? So but 18 is, is legal for marriage and all. Wait, 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 hold, hold on. Hold on one second, Cynthia. I'm getting there. But so, but so just the, the term teenager can be misleading, right? Because there's a big difference in our society and, quite honestly, in the, uh, in the development of a 13-year-old versus a 19-year-old, right? So that's, that's important. You mentioned a 16-year-old getting married, but under Alabama law, 16 is the age of consent, so that would be allowable. The big problem for Judge Moore, the big accusation has been that he was uh, he was molesting a 14-year-old, which would be le- illegal and below the age of consent, right? So, so when you say that there's nothing unusual about, well, if it were just 16-year-olds that had consented to some kind of relationship with Roy Moore, people could socially disapprove of that, but it is by no means illegal, and I think you could argue that entirely legal behavior would not be disqualifying for Judge Moore. But the allegations, there are two allegations of criminal behavior. One is of relationship with a 14-year-old, which is under the age of consent. And I believe the other one, Tyrone, correct, a 16-year-old who says she was sexually assaulted by him, even though she, she was the age of consent, but was assaulted by him. So, Cynthia, you see what I mean about the distinctions here? It's important to be clear about what we are and are not talking about. I agree, but again, I, I'm I'm a Christian, and so I believe in forgiveness. This happened. If it did happen, it was 40 years ago. He's been married and faithful to his wife. I believe in forgiveness, and so I would vote for Roy Moore for different reasons than that. The reasons I would vote for Roy Moore is his deep knowledge of the Constitution. He can actually recite it word for word, the Constitution. He understands the way the founders intended our country to be run. And so from those perspectives, and I believe that he is a much better choice than this Doug no Jones, right? Who, yeah, look, I think a lot of people in, in Alabama, and you're, you're, you're calling it from Georgia, right? So you're actually not voting, Cynthia. But uh, a lot of people in Alabama obviously agree. It's going to be a tight race, so we'll have to see. But, Cynthia, I appreciate yeah. you calling in. Thank you very much for 
your time and for being patient on hold there. Um, 844-900-2825. We're going to move on to some other topics. I'm, I'm still dealing with my discipline. I should have asked my, my team in here. They, they know what the schedule was for the election tonight. And I knew that the polls closed at eight, but I just kind of figured, oh, maybe they could call it early. But they're not going to be able to call it that early. You know, we're on until nine Eastern here. They're probably probably going to be about an hour after we're done rocking the Freedom Hut that we'll know what really happened in the race. But that doesn't but our analysis then is 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 critical in the in the run up to it. And hey, as I'm on air with you right now, still 40 minutes to cast your vote one way or the other. So this is a live game, folks. Live ball. Let's see what happens. 844-900-2825-844-900 buck. Please light up those lines. Let's talk about some things. And uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back, team. Lines are lit all over this place. Let's take them. Dan in Ohio. Good to have you, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Buck. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you for your call. Hey, I'm a law enforcement officer, and I just kind of wanted to give a little different perspective on the shooting that you guys were talking about earlier. Sure, the one in Mesa, Arizona, involving Daniel Shaver as the victim, and the two officers were Sergeant Langley and Officer Brailsford. Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. I'm a a 20-year vet. Just give you a quick background. I've worked with uh, Northern Ohio Violent Fugitive Task Force. Uh, I've worked on various fugitive task force, been a law law enforcement officer, been a training officer. Uh, I will tell you, after I watched the video the first time, there were some things that I missed because I think there was kind of a skewed view on the site that I was watching. Uh, When I was able to watch the whole thing, I will tell you, I, I didn't necessarily agree with this guy's professionalism. Didn't necessarily agree with his tactics, but I will tell you, that was a clean shoot. And the reason that I say that is if the hands are the things that are going to kill you, the waistband is where the guns are kept, it's where the drugs are kept. If somebody's grabbing for something in one of those situations, and and make no mistake about it, this was a call that the police got after the Vegas shooting that there was potentially a gunman in this hotel, if if I'm getting the facts straight. Somebody saw a rifle Uh, through the window, but there was no shooting. There was no shooting, but there was a No, and this was also, this was in February of 2016. This was pre-Vegas shooting, but go ahead. Okay, well, that I didn't know. But uh, these officers respond. There's a gun that's that's apparently been seen in the window. Uh, they are treating it as if it's a potential felony arrest, which they should be doing. That's a good tactic. Um, this guy, what they don't show you on most of the videos that I've seen on the internet is this guy actually put his hands behind his back after be, after being given clear instructions to keep his hands where the law enforcement officer could see them. Uh, right, now, 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 Dan, we have to talk about this a little bit. You, you watched that video. Okay. Did, you, did you find those instructions given by Sergeant Langley to be both clear and uh, e- easily complied with? Uh, I, again, his tactics and his instructions, I felt left a little bit. Because uh, here, here's my, I uh, did not mean to talk over you, sorry, but here, here's my problem, is that when you tell somebody who is terrified, uh, I want you to keep your feet crossed, left over right, get up to your knees, show me your hands, and don't move. That is a very difficult thing for somebody with an AR pointed at their head to comply with perfectly, right? And then when he, like, puts True, one foot, was, and, I mean, you know, and, and so at some point it turns into when is it the, when is the police officer saying, okay, I want you to do a handstand, and oh, my God, he's falling, and he grabbed his waist, and I shot him. I mean, that's, the, the, the uh, commands I, I were almost impossible to comply with for a person under those circumstances. 
Well, here's the other thing, and, and we always think of, of the, the poor innocent guy, and I don't know what this guy did. And I'm not he didn't do anything, crime. by the way. There was no crime. He had a pellet gun in his room and no record, and, he, and so there was nothing. They showed up to a nothing call. Well, you need to understand that the police didn't know that at the time. There's a, there's a no, I, I get that. Connor. It's the, it, Buck, if you want to hear what i got to say, I'll, I'll be happy to say it. If you just want to talk over me, then then I'm, I'm trying to let you talk, show. sir. Go right ahead. Go ahead. Okay. All right, Graham versus Connor. Are you familiar with this this case law? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that case. Let me let me give you a little bit of background because it's the most important case law when it comes to the use of force, the police officer's use of force. And what the Supreme Court decided in Graham versus Connor was that when police officers are faced with rapidly evolving, potentially dangerous situations, that it has to be judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer. And I'm telling you, I think that I'm a reasonable officer, and I know a lot of reasonable officers who's, who've looked at this case. None of us necessarily agree with this professionalism. None of us necessarily agree with his tactics, but all of us think it was a clean shoot. Now, hold, that, hold on, Dan. Hold on. I'm not talking over you. Out of deference to your uh, experience and what you're saying here on the call, would you stay through us? Uh, stay through the break with us? That will give plenty of time to have you tell us what you want to tell us on the other side. Is that all right? Because we're going to go to a hard break. Absolutely. I can't. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. All right, sir. There we go. Dan's going to stay with us. We're going to continue this conversation about the shoot in Mace, Arizona. If you haven't seen the video, you can go to hill.com. I wrote about it there. Dan and I are going to discuss this, and then we'll take some other calls. We'll be right back. So that was the audio of the incident that we're talking about here. Uh, that was in Mesa, Arizona in early 2016. The video was just released last week. The officer was acquitted of second-degree murder and manslaughter charges. We have officer, uh, uh, I don't know if current or former police officer, Dan in Ohio on the line. Dan, um, I want to let you finish your point about case law, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about that audio. Sure. And before we get back into the case law, real quick, I, I challenge your, your viewers and your listeners to look at the Quincy Smith uh, shooting. That's where an officer actually had a taser on an individual, not in the exact same situation, but in the situation where the individual had his hands out of sight. And instead of be, having his gun out, what happened was this, and when he told the individual to show him his hands, he ends up pulling a gun on the officer and shooting the officer twice. It can rapidly evolve in a couple of seconds, which goes back to my case law point. Uh, when we're dealing with uh, Graham versus Connor, the Supreme Court ruled that cops are under a lot of stress. And this particular situation is absolutely no different. And I understand that individual is under a lot of stress. But the goal was to resolve it to a peaceful end. And I understand that that didn't happen. But the individual, and I get that you're saying there were too many commands, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I will tell you, this individual put his hands behind his back. You don't see that in every video. You actually have to look at different videos on the Internet to see the whole thing because I think there's a bit of a skew on this video. People don't want you to see the whole truth. Uh, but the individual put his hands in the small of his back. And I will tell you, every gun that I've ever found on a, on a perp uh, was in the waistline in some place. 
when he did get shot, he had been warned twice not to do that. And then he stuck his hand or he put his hand off to the side instead of keeping it out in front of him. And it looked like he was going for the waistband. Do I necessarily agree with the tactics of the officer? No. Do I necessarily agree with the professionalism of the officer? No. But you have to understand that officers are operating under very intense uh, right. pressures at that point in time. We're getting okay. the adrenaline dump, the dopamine dump, and we have to make split split second decisions in the heat of the moment. I, all right. I get, you know that I work with the NYPD, right? I went out, counterterrorism calls. You, that So just, I mean, and, I, and have law enforcement in my family, and I'm with, just by way of context, I'm with the cops on this. 99 times out of 100, right? I call out Black Lives Matter for all the lies and all that. So I'm not somebody who says every time a cop shoots somebody, oh, my God, what happened? Look what he did. But I also think that you evaluate, and I know you're citing case law, but you evaluate each instance as the instance, right? You don't just say, well, cops can, in theory, do this. Therefore, in this case, it's fine. And I would I would note, uh, Dan, that it is. this is in Mesa, Arizona. I believe this is Sheriff Joe Arpaio's uh part of arizona if memory serves so i'm guessing I'm sure it's a pretty sheriff but yes i'm so yeah for you know what i'm saying for i'm guessing it's a pretty pro police area and for the district attorney with video evidence to charge second degree murder against a police officer and somebody who's obviously educated in the law sees a lot of these cases is not charging a lot of cops for, with murder shows that there's there's something up here that at least reasonable people or i should say highly expert people could look at this tape who are dealing with officer-involved incidents all the time and say, not only was it, as you have said, unprofessional and problematic, but it was he charged it as murder. Now, there is not a racial element here because Shaver was white. The officers were white. So there was no political pressure based on the narrative of Black Lives Matter or any of that to overcharge, which I know can also be a problem. But just that's, I think, important context for this that you did have this isn't just me saying I thought the shooting was bad. This guy beat not just a manslaughter charge, a murder rap charge. Okay, on to the specifics of uh, or the, the tactics that were used here. For a police officer to tell somebody, if you lose your balance, you better fall on your face. Um, that is a level of aggression. And I'm sorry? I do not agree with his, his use of tactics, and I don't agree with his Okay, but when we go to the... I understand that it keeps turning into... A discussion about how he reached for uh, he reached near his waistband, but he had already tried many times to comply, and they were yelling at him and threatening to kill him for lack of ability to uh, ability to comply, not willingness to comply. I don't even know if right now I was told to do the things that he did: left over right, go to your knees, raise hands, go to ground, crawl to me. That I would, with a gun trained on me and completely sober, be able to do all that. The point about reaching for the gun in the waistband, Dan, and this is where I think this is the key, and clearly, look, the jury sided with you. The DA sees it the way I do. The jury sees it the way that you do. Uh, but to put this person in a situation where he is terrified, he is being unnecessarily uh, screamed at and threatened with shooting, uh, I mean, and you agree the tactics were bad, and the reason he reached in his waistband was because his shorts were falling off, because the officers told him, crawl toward me. Now, you can well, say that they made the... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm I've been speaking. Go ahead, Dan. That's okay. Here, here's where I have a little disagreement with that. Um, again, if you watch the Quincy Smith video, tell me exactly when that officer should have pulled the trigger in Quincy Smith. Dan, I need you to speak about this case, not a case I haven't seen as a... Pre- I mean, well, I- 
I, I understand what you're saying, but at what point in time, what, what if there was a gun behind his waistband? Should that officer just have taken a bullet before he pulled the trigger? Is that, is that your thought? Uh, on, uh, with the totality of the circumstances being that this guy is crying and begging not to be shot and has already laid down on the ground and clearly just wants to get arrested, the notion that at the very last minute, while he is crawling, he's going to try to pull a gun while officers already have, I believe, two, or at least one AR pointed at him, I mean, it just defies belief at some point. I mean, come on, they really believe this guy was going for a gun? And I should note that I should note that afterwards, the officer said something that I thought was very uh, noteworthy in his in his uh, testimony uh, to the police when he was doing his after action. He said that I thought he was angling to get a better firing position at me. I mean, the video you can see he's crawling and his head is down. So I, I just don't well, I see how he. I don't. I just don't buy I can, it. Then. I can also show you other, and I know you haven't seen any of these videos, but I can also show you other training videos where people are putting guns to their own head, pretending suicide, so they can shoot cops. So we get we get to a point, and you know, we were taught at one time, you know, obviously you, you want to put your gun down or you want to try to talk these guys down. I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I firmly believe in public safety, uh, but we're always being confronted with new tactics from offenders. They train these tactics in prisons. They train these tactics on the street, and it's done in a manner to try to overcome our tactics. So for you to sit here at playing Monday morning quarterback and saying that, um, you know, that this guy should should have known that this guy had nothing in his his waistband, I think that's a little hypocritical. Well, I I mean, I can tell you. You're saying saying that that police officers should go out there and we should always give them the, the offender the the advantage and give them the you're now 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 you're going and now you're going not, off the rails Dan. the way this works now now, now you're and going I'm off the rails first of all uh, I, i've I seen love, i'm not going off the rails i would love to take you out on the street i would love to put you in the situation where you're getting the the adrenaline dump you're getting the dopamine dump and somebody does have a gun in your face or somebody has their hands hidden and you don't know what's coming dan you you seem you seem to you seem to be going time. to a place now where you understand that this is this is about what a citizen of the United about, States, what a person can expect when they're trying to comply with police commands. This is not that the police just get to determine whatever they want, however they want. A district attorney yeah, charged. And, this, and first of all, this guy, did, and the reason he was found innocent, because he wasn't complying. with. Why did they fire him, by the way, Dan? Why did the police department fire him? I have no him? idea why they fired the guy. Oh, well, I, have, I, have a, I have a sense it's because they fired him because he's a maniac who wrote your eft on the AR that he shot this guy to death with in the hallway. Were you aware of that? That I didn't know. Well, you didn't know. It would be good for you to know before you start throwing stuff around to somebody who has, by the way, strapped a machine gun on and been in multiple war zones for his country. I'd like to see you on the street. I'd like to see you in a Blackhawk going to some of the places I've been to, Dan. I don't want to hear that stuff here. I've been very respectful of you. I don't want to hear that nonsense. Take me wherever you want to go. Okay, I brother, but let's the, don't don't play that game with me. You want, you want to, to go there? I'll go there. This is not about who's. Where do you want to go? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't think we would enjoy each other's company on a ride along right now. But I think I've been very respectful of your opinion, and for you to go yeah, to the oh well, if you ever seen, I've been in cars with police doing surveillance of terrorism suspects, my man. Guess what? Sometimes they freak out and start shooting at people. Well, what else do I need to do? But anyway, we we've dealt with this on the merits. I I gave you your say. You wanted to make it about something else? That's something else. But we're going to move on to something else now as well on the show. Thank you so much for your time and for keeping our streets safe. I also think you should know the full facts before you call into a show and want to talk about this. Tyrone, yes, sir. I would just like to ask because I honestly don't know. He kept mentioning the dopamine dump. I assume as a citizen 
that the officer is trained for that particular situation and I'm not trained. So I would assume that in a tense situation, I would hope that the cop would be calmer than me because I would be just as afraid as that man was in the Arizona um, you know, hotel hallway. So my question to you, because I know you know, aren't law enforcement officers trained to have composure in situations like that? Yes, of course. I mean, this 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 idea that, and by the way, I mean, I've, I've got a career patrol officer in my family. I talked to him about it, and he's like, yeah, that was a bad shoot. So this notion that I'm going to hear from an officer is like, well, I'm an officer, so you're not allowed to be the, I, it, it, Policing cannot be only police get to have an opinion. That's for one. I've heard police, as somebody who worked at the NYPD as well, say that this was a bad shoot. The DA charged it as a bad shoot. And, you know, at what point are we allowed to say that a guy who's blubbering on the ground trying to pull his shorts up so he's not butt naked in the hallway is not a threat? I I, I think we reached that point. And, you know, man, I have I have called out all the all the lies from Black Lives Matter and all the stuff about police brutality and police violence. I have gone toe to toe and won against Van Jones on this issue on CNN, on police violence and police brutality. But. I try to be honest about it. I call like I see it. And this one, to me, was a bad shoot. I'm, I I have I read the police reports, all the media reports, every, watched the video, did everything that I could short of being there. And it was a bad shoot. I don't know what else to say. But I understand people get uh, people get heated and tense about this. And I look, I want people who disagree with me to call on the show and everything else. And I think any fair listener would know. I was being completely respectful of our listener, and I hope he feels like he was being respected. But I, don't, don't start pulling the, uh, oh, well, if you had only ever been there. I don't do that to people. I don't say to people, you're not allowed to have an opinion on Afghanistan because you've never been to Afghanistan. I could do that a lot. Uh, anyway, I, I think that's, uh, uh, we went into a different direction there than I had anticipated. By the way, if you have not, I would tell you to go read, uh, go to thehill.com and uh, read my piece and see if you agree or disagree. I think uh, it's uh, you should you should check it out. Let's take John in North Carolina. Let's go back to the the happy topic of the Roy Moore election. Hey, John. <laughs> Hello, Buck. How are, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good. I'm a first time caller. And uh, before I get to Roy Moore, I'd like to comment on the uh, police officer who called in a few minutes ago. Uh, from the way I see it, from the video. It, there's more than one officer in the hallway. Is is that not correct? There are two officers. Yes, sir. Right. Well, if one, if if one officer, I mean, he looked like he was within maybe ten foot of the guy. If the one officer is is uh, pinning him down, then how come the other officer, while his arms is outstretched, couldn't have went over and handcuffed the suspect? That would be a normal. That would be normal procedure, and I've had officers reach out to me and be like, "Yeah, once they were both lying flat on the ground with their hands outstretched, you could go and cuff them and take them into custody." This whole "get to your knees" Simon says routine, where you have to crawl towards me, and if you crawl badly and fall, and your hand goes near your waist, I'm going to shoot you. That's that's not yeah. the America I want to live in. I'll tell you that right now. No, that's not the America I want to live in either. But that's just my observation of the of the whole situation from what I saw. Of the video clip on the news and then uh to the roy moore thing uh my first question is is because i'm not real sure how, how old is roy moore uh i i actually know 60s maybe 70s in his 60s 
Okay, and he's been at least maybe seventies. He yeah. was an attorney. He was an attorney, district attorney. Yeah, he must have been if he was a judge, I assume. Right. So he's been practicing his law his whole life, correct? Uh, I, I, yeah, I think <laughs> I don't know Rose bio that well, but yeah, I think so. Well, my uh, he's seventy, my, so he was uh, right in between. I said sixties or seventies. He is seventy. Go ahead. Right. Well, so my observation of the whole thing is, is so. All the way up until now, there's never been an allegation of impropriety towards him. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that until is correct. Recently? Yes, sir. Until recently? That is true. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I mean, my question is, if all of this has happened in the past, then how come he's never been convicted of anything? Well, he's passed the statute of limitations now, um, but... Right. But I think your point is more that why didn't anyone raise this before, which the Moore campaign has certainly been saying a lot. Yeah, that, that, that's my whole observation of the whole thing. So the way I look at it, uh, I, I think I think these are false allegations. All right. Well, John, Shield time, and thank you for calling. We've got to run into a break here, but uh, thank you for your time down in North Carolina. we got some a lot of people want to talk, and you know what they want to talk about? Not Roy Moore. They want to talk about that shooting. So, all right, let's do it. Light them up, 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. Well, we found something people want to talk about other than the election tonight. Uh, every line is lit in the hut. Let's get into it. D in North Carolina, welcome. Hello? Yes, D, you're on. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir, we can all hear you. Okay, I apologize. Hey, listen, uh, that officer who called in from Ohio, uh, uh, I'm scared that he's training other officers and using case law as an excuse for execution. I mean, uh, he's got to wake up, and I know he's listening, so, pal, you need to wake up and get with the program. You're here to protect and serve, not execute. And if you're utilizing case law as an excuse to execute, and you're utilizing that case law to train your officers, officers somewhere in Ohio, people in Ohio, you better wake up, because that man that got executed in that hallway got a release. Now, of course, he got fired for a myriad of reasons we'll probably never know. Uh, for instance, what you described, Buck, was... was yeah, the jury wasn't allowed to know that that guy had your F etched into the AR-15 he used to kill Daniel Shaver. Weird thing to write on your weapon you're using as your service weapon. Yeah, you know, people that write that on their service weapons in the military, you know, that's... You you are former military, I'm guessing, D. Yeah, 26 years, retired officer, also a former police officer. So I've been there and I've done that, Ohio. And uh, let me tell you something, I'm sick of the excuses that are coming out of these police departments for things like that. That was a blatant execution. And Look, I completely agree with you, obviously. And I've had career law enforcement, I've been talking to them all week. And they're all saying the same thing. That was a bad shoot. It was an execution. Yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, support Trump and uh, Ohio. Re, uh, rethink your training regimen for your uh, young officers. All right, Deep. Deep, shield time, man. Thank you for calling in. Uh, guys, I know we got lines lit all over the place. You know what we'll do? We'll rack and stack them at the top of the next hour. And uh, since we're not going to have the results of Roy Moore, unfortunately, I was wrong on that one. We'll talk about this a bit, and we got Matt Walsh joining to uh, lay down some truth, because that's how Matt Walsh rolls. And uh, we'll talk about some things. Maybe some Team Buck Speaks. And I'm going to go, uh, you know, go hang out. It'll be fun. Oh, 844-900-2825. If you want to call in, uh, we've got one spot open. Who's next? Who wants in? Give me a ring. We'll be right back. Alabama polls have closed, everybody. But we don't have much more to say about it than that right now. Uh, let's get into some calls. Matt in Georgia on the Blaze Radio. Hey, what's up, Matt? 
Matt. Hello, Matt. Going once. Going. All right, Matt. If you stay, we'll try to get you back later. George in Pennsylvania. Welcome, Hi, George. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. Uh, <clears throat> I know there's someone touched on this a little a little bit earlier, but one thing that bothered me about the video, I could understand why they wanted the woman out of the way. They had to isolate her, separate them, all that kind of good stuff. Crawl. But the guy, once the guy started moving a little bit, it was obvious that he could not follow instructions. And there are certain people that just cannot, period. Well, he was in, he was a little inebriated. I mean, so basically it was like telling a drunk. It was, it was Simon Says with a drunk guy with an AR-15 pointed at his head. That's what that video was. Exactly. And by my recollection, I don't have the video to, re- to look at right now, but my, by my recollection, the only other mitigating factor would be the fact that they wanted him out of the sight area of that uh, the sight triangle from the door there, but it's, he seemed to be well beyond that. And at that point, over you at that point you walk over, you put cuffs on him, and you drag him out of there. George, are you? Can I ask, are you current or former law enforcement or military? Because you're speaking about this with some knowledge. No, actually, I am not. It just it just makes there's a lot, there's a lot of common sense about it. I think yeah, there absolutely is a lot of common sense power. about it. It just and, and like I said, it just it, at, at that point it seemed like he, there, he was waiting. The, the cop was waiting for something to happen, and just kept stretching it out and stretching it. I mean, I, I, I just as as an American to have a police officer with a weapon drawn on somebody. And keep in mind, somebody who hasn't done anything, hasn't attacked anyone, hasn't attacked a cop, has posed no threat to anyone, and did nothing wrong. By the way, he wasn't even being arrested. The, the, the guy literally, Daniel Shaver, did nothing. He committed no crime and and was never threatening toward the police. And to live in this country and to hear a, a, an officer of the law say, if you fall, you better fall on your face, because if I see your hands go, I'm going to shoot you. Uh, th- that's not OK. You know, that, that I just I don't care what I don't care what the procedures are in Arizona. I don't care. And by the way, I know the patrol guide here at the NYPD pretty well. That's not OK. So, you know, that's where I come down on it. I just and by the way, there's a whole bunch of other things like, you know, the things that he said. You don't tell somebody who's shaking and terrified. I mean, you know, he said to him, young man, listen to my instructions and do not make a mistake. Uh, If you make a mistake, there's a very severe possibility that both of you are going to get shot. Those are quotes from now. Some explain this to me. Making a mistake is not disobeying. Making making a mistake is not failure to comply. It's certainly not a threat. It's making a mistake. This guy was saying, I'm going to tell you a bunch of complicated, angry stuff. And if you don't do exactly what those complicated, angry things are, I'm going to kill you. This is what he was saying. And by the way, the guy making the commands wasn't the shooter. He was the sergeant. So he didn't pull the trigger. Someone explain that one to me. It was such a grave threat that the guy who's being so aggressive, he doesn't pull the trigger. The guy next to him, Officer Brailsford. You see, I read the entirety of the after-action report from the police as well as all the different uh, available court documents and reports on this. So have some familiarity with how this went down. And, you know, it is astonishing. I mean, look, I, I, will, I will note it wasn't just our previous caller who... Anyone is welcome to call in and disagree. Just let's let's keep it respectful, everybody. 
Uh, I've gotten a lot of heat from different people on this one because they just say the cops are right. And I say, uh, you know, I've carried firearms as part of my job before and been in some sticky situations and been around some sketchy stuff. And I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what. No person could think that Daniel Shaver was honestly about to kill anybody or pose any mortal threat to anyone in that hallway. It's just it's just it is an unreasonable position. I'm not saying that nobody could ever make the claim. They clearly did. But it's an unreasonable position, which is why the district attorney in a red, red pro-police area of Arizona, by the way, charged murder. And the officer's uh, lawyer was able to get kept out of the case that the weapon used to kill Daniel Shaver by Officer Brailsford had your F etched on it. As if Brailsford were, and not that this would be okay, but as if Brailsford were in some, you know, far off foreign land fighting against, you know, indigenous brutal forces or something. And, you know, like this guy thought he was you know, up against the Viet Cong. I mean, like, w- w- what is he doing? He's a peace officer. He's there to serve and protect. He, and look, he brought his own AR with him. He qualified with it. He's allowed to do that. O- okay. Not, not sure why he needed it in this scenario, but that's beyond the purposes of the, that's beyond our discussion right now. Uh, t- uh, Colin in Indiana. What's up, Colin? Oh, howdy, Buck. Uh, original squad here from the Saturday show. Uh, it sounded like uh, I heard you a couple months ago coin or, uh, bring up a pithy phrase to cloak. sounded like you got into one of those with uh, Officer Dan over there in Ohio. Um, my, uh, my question, I suppose, is... There's an objective line here that he was talking about in that uh, that uh, Supreme Court case, and it seems to me now my only real experience with tense situations is uh, working at 4 a.m. I guess at uh, a bar as a bouncer, believe it or not. Um, and I, I just I kind of think that you know I dealt with some fairly tense drunk situations, and uh, I never felt any kind of uh stress quite like that heck i think i'm feeling more stress in my phone call here well, well colin, but colin let me tell you something i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off buddy but we got it we got matt walsh calling in a second we got a guest lined up so i got i got a roll here but uh, i would just say that i have also uh heard from military folks who have said that after seeing this video they have seen and i've seen videos of it too but they have personally witnessed uh, suicide bombers being treated with greater respect and, you know, respect for their humanity when they were surrendering themselves. Like a suicide bomber who's like, I want to surrender. I don't want to blow myself up. U.S. military treating that individual better than Daniel Shaver, who was just a guy in a hallway trying to go to bed and have a nice night. And that's, this is not okay what happened in this shooting. But. You know, the justice system has spoken, I guess, on this. All right, we're going to have Matt Walsh joining. Stay with me. We'll get right to it. They make fun of my nose. They call me ugly. They say I have no friends. That was a a small clip from a much uh, longer viral video about a young man named Keaton Jones, who is in middle school. His mother put this video up online because Keaton has been bullied very badly. And he talks about 
the kind of bullying he suffers. People pour milk on him. They physically hit him. They mock him. They say he's ugly. They say he has no friends. It has pulled at heartstrings across the country. The video has been seen millions of times. But it raises some questions. One, about everyone involved here, including uh, the mother of Keaton and her decision to publish this video online, and also about bullying in general and what the proper way to deal with it is. Matt Walsh joins us now. He's an author at The Daily Wire and The Matt Walsh Blog. He's also the author of the book, The Unholy Trinity. He's got a piece up. Our national panic over bullying is not helping bullied kids. It's making everything worse. Matt, great to have you. Thanks for calling. Hey, thanks, Pat. Good to be here. So, okay, we're, I'm a, I don't like bullying. You don't like bullying. You have concerns about the anti-bullying discussion and efforts in the country right now. Tell us how. Tell us why. Yeah, I think the way that we, and this was just kind of a, uh, this whole thing of Keaton Jones is kind of a microcosm, an example of the way that we treat bullying, which is, you know, we, we, we take these issues that are very, very localized. I mean, localized down to, like, they're happening at a lunch table between kids in a school somewhere, and we turn it into this national epidemic. We talk about the bullying epidemic, and we start talking about, you know, what are laws we can pass? What are things that the government can do? Let's get bullying uh, committees together, and we'll handle it that way. And I just think it's, it's totally the wrong approach. It obviously isn't working. It sends completely the wrong message, and it's also built on a, on a misconception. The misconception is that bullying is somehow so much worse today. Um, something's happened, and the kids are so much worse to, to, to each other now than they ever were before, so we have to think of new ways of handling it. And I don't think that's true. I don't think there's any evidence of that. I think bullying is today the same as it's always been, because kids are the same they always have been, because people are the same as, as they always have been. And um, so I think we should kind of approach it the same way that we used to. And uh, I just don't think our, our you know, our... Uh, ways of approaching it today are, are working my in my experience matt the best way to to tell people to deal with bullying is one for those who are able or or willing to tell them to stand up for themselves including physically i feel like that's very much uh out of favor right now and and the other option is which would really be a a corollary to that is to tell people if you see someone bullying someone else you know you should step in you shouldn't allow that kind of thing to happen because I, I I get the sense that any uh, any physical effort to defend oneself or defend someone else is is going to be viewed by the anti-bullying crowd as problematic in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I do think um, that it's it's really hard to talk about <coughs> uh, solving bullying or addressing. Of course, it never could be solved, but it's hard to talk about addressing bullying if we have ruled out the possibility of a kid defending himself physically if necessary. Because sometimes especially at that age when you've got kids and you've got 10-year-old kids that are picking on each other, uh, sometimes it really is that there's something psychologically true here that uh, the best way to shut down a bully, maybe the only way in the end, is just to punch him in the nose. It only takes one time. Most of it's kind of a cliche to say a bully just needs to get punched in the nose one time, then he stops being a bully. And I think that often is the case. It may not stop him from being a bully in general, but it'll stop him from bullying you. We've taken that out, and I do think that, you know, when I was a kid growing up, my, my dad always told me, like a lot of people's dads told them back in the day, which is, uh, look, if you, you know, if you get in trouble because you punch a bully in the nose to protect yourself, to protect your sisters, you won't be in trouble at home. And I was told that, and that was great. I think that was My dad part. always told me the same thing, and a couple of times, I remember once, I actually went for a double-leg takedown against a bully and almost knocked him out, but he never bullied me again. Yeah, exactly. And, that's, and, and that was, you know, you talk to anyone in our generation or older, they'll tell you, like, that's what my dad told me. And that was the right thing, I think, to tell kids 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. 
But these days, the way that everything in school has been criminalized, that um, you know, if you tell your kid that now and he gets into a fist fight, next thing you know, he might be going, he might be going to jail or getting expelled. So it's like I think now we can't really tell our kids that because the way the schools will way overreact to it with all this zero tolerance crap. So the only thing left is just if we rule that out because we don't want our kids to get expelled or go to jail, then the only thing left is to just empower them and to, te- to, to teach them a little bit of resilience and to just send the message that, you know, your worth is not tied to what your peers think about you and what they say about you. So it's not that we're dismissing, you know, if our kids bullied, we're not going to dismiss it. We're not necessarily, um, you know, uh, trying to downplay it. But we're all, we also don't want to make a huge deal out of it. We don't want to... Because I think that sends the message to the kid that it is a big deal. Yeah, Ty- Tyrone is giving you a big thumbs up in here, by the way, for the sometimes you just got to punch a bully in the nose. Yeah, punch him. And I think punch him in the nose, if we can't do that physically these days, unfortunately, um, although I still think it works, but if we can't do that, then you know, then sometimes the, the next best option is just to be, you know, all you can be is just very confident and you don't care what the person's saying. If they, they throw an insult at you, you throw something back verbally maybe, and then you just go about your day. That's the only thing I think kids can really do in school now. Um, but when they start, and I always say, well, you got to go talk to an adult, and you got to tell the administrator and get everyone else involved. Sometimes I know that is necessary if it gets really, really bad or if a kid feels like he's being threatened. But I think most of the time that's not going to solve the problem, and it probably will make it worse for the kid when the, when the adults start getting involved. So we have to, to some extent, empower the kids to deal with it themselves. And if we don't do that, then I just don't think, I don't, I don't know what else could possibly work. And are you up on what happened with the the mom and the surrounding controversy here? I've seen people say, one, it's a little weird for her to to publish this video in the first place. I wanted your take on that. And then also, there's some photos, Confederate flags and photos. What's going on there? Yeah, I think um, I would say it's not only weird for her to publish the video, but I think it's just flat out wrong and exploitative. I mean, you start adding in the GoFundMe accounts and everything, and the kid raised $50,000. Like, I don't know how $50,000 is going to help him with bullying, honestly. I don't know how that solves bullying, but uh, unless he's going to pay off the bullies, I don't know. But uh, it, it just, as a parent myself, my kids have come to me distressed and crying about things. It has never occurred to me even once to say, oh, hang on a second, let me grab my phone. I'll repeat everything you just said so I can put it on Facebook. Like, I just don't, I, I think that's an indefensible decision. And we see why, because... You, you know, you have made your kid famous, you have offered him up like as a sacrifice to the Internet, and then the Internet does what the Internet does, which is, which is you know, for, it's very fickle. Like one minute they're with you, and then, and then just on the drop of a dime, they're against you, and they start tearing your life apart. This is what the Internet does. Anyone who's ever been, anyone who's ever gotten a lot of attention on the Internet or been the subject of an Internet lynch mob, um, which, I have, which I have been plenty of times in the past, it could be a pretty overwhelming thing, even for adults. And this is why you don't, you know, you don't put your kid in the middle of that. And as far as, you know, okay, I personally don't think Confederate flags are racist. That's my opinion. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's any evidence that this woman's a racist. But these, this is a conver- the point is this is a conversation we shouldn't even be having about this woman and her kid. Like, none of us should even know who they are. There's no reason for this to be a national conversation. She turned it into that by putting this on the Internet because people just really like attention. They want attention. And there's this instinct that a lot of parents have these days for some reason to use their kids to get attention to themselves. And I don't, you know, maybe it's harsh on the mother, but it feels to me like that's what she did. And it backfired big time. Hopefully it's a, it's a lesson to the rest of us. Like, don't do that because attention from the Internet to your 12-year-old is never a good thing. It never works out. So it's best to just keep them away from it as much as you can. We're speaking to Matt Walsh, who's an author at The Daily Wire. Go, go read his latest at thedailywire.com. Also, 
Uh, at the uh, He's the author of The Unholy Trinity, a book you can get on Amazon. I recommend it to you all. It is Mrs. Sexton, meaning my mom approved. She read it and loved it. Uh, I will oh, also, um, uh, one more thing, Matt, before we let you go. Uh, I, I agree with you. I, I wrote on this at The Hill. I know you've written about it at The, at the Daily Wire, th- that there's this uh, impulse among conservatives now, and I think it's in response to a lot of defamatory and unfair things said about cops, a lot of lies told on the left about policing. But now I think there is a reflexive impulse on the right to defend any police-involved shooting. And I'm, we're, I'm thinking, of course, of the Mesa, Arizona uh, incident uh, where you had a police officer. We played the audio on air. police officer shot somebody in a hallway of a, of a La Quinta Inn. And I just thought it was outrageous. I mean, I thought it was an execution and the guy committed a murder and the jury let him off. And a lot of conservatives gave me a lot of heat for it. Yeah, I got a lot of heat as well. I mean, and I, and I think you're right that, that uh, and I don't want to blame it all on the left here, but I do think and I don't want to say like, well, they started it. But there's a little bit of that going on where the left made a really huge mistake by, number one, hopping on these blatantly false narratives like hands up, don't shoot, which was completely invented. And they also made a huge mistake by turning the discussion about police abuses into a racial discussion where everything is based on race. And because of those two reasons, I think a lot of conservatives just reacted to it uh, in a very reactionary way. And so this this is the way, of course, conversations go now in our society. But they just went to the opposite extreme and said, well, okay, you think cops are always wrong and they're always racist bigots on a murdering spree. And I think they're always right. And, of course, the truth is, like, somewhere in between. And, well, not really in between. I think the truth is closer to the right, you know, in that... In that, I, that, that yeah, I, I think the right is wrong. right 99 times out of 100 on this map, but this was the one out of 100. Right, this is the one, this is the one time. It's also, it's a, well, you cried wolf thing. We keep hearing about, oh, cops executed an unarmed man. And then you watch the video, you hear the, the background, and you're like, well, it's not exactly what happened. In this case, that's actually what happened. They, it, it, it finally really did happen with an execution of an unarmed person who was literally crawling on the ground, begging for his life. It's not an exaggeration. It's actually what happened this time. But the, but the, you know, it's like it's like the it's like the fable that we, we were told so many times a guy was crawling for his, begging for his life and he was shot. Turned out it didn't happen. This time it did happen. And all the people who should care, like the conservatives who are supposed to be skeptical of government and quick to point out government abuses. They just have the ears closed off from it, and I think that's a shame. And, of course, we know the media is not going to jump on it quite as much because there isn't the racial, the racial angle, which they prefer. Uh, so this case, although it got a you know, fair amount of attention from people like you and me, it never got – there was never big protests. There were never riots, and there was never a number one story leading the newscast anywhere, as far as I'm aware. Which is astonishing, because if people see the video, and and Matt's got it up the Daily Wire, I wrote about it at the Hill, you should read about this, guys, because if people see the video, it is stomach-churning. Matt Walsh, everybody, author of thedailywire.com. Check out his book, The Unholy Trinity. Matt, always great to have you, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Buck. Team, we are going to roll into a break. We're going to come back in just a few. We will get into some Team Buck Speaks. And some other stuff, too. So we've got that and much more. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Be right back. The New York Times giving us some insight, including his daily regimen of watching up to eight hours of TV and drinking as many as 12 Diet Coke. What does this do to, to the brain and the body every day? Right. So... Brooke, you want to be healthy, right? I'd like to be, yes. I want to be healthy as well. (laughs) I do as well. Everybody is trying to be healthy. 
So for the average soda drinker, this is the healthier choice, right? This has less calories or no calories, right? There's some that are less or zero. But so what does 12 do to you? This essentially replaces what other liquids will provide to your body. So your body, as you know, (laughs) is mainly water. A good majority of your body is water. Your body needs water to survive. It's essentially replacing that area in your body. Not necessarily dehydrating, but it's replacing a liquid that you can't take, which is water. Okay, can we take it anywhere? Guys, you're probably like, what was that? That was a new segment on CNN. Uh, and I almost I feel bad playing it in a sense because uh, one of the few people at CNN who was always uh, considered and kind to me was the anchor there, Brooke Baldwin. She's a very I do not have any bad words of any kind to say about Brooke. She's a very nice lady. But the producers over there determine what these segments are going to be. She's the anchor. She does the segment. But they're literally doing a segment on how much Diet Coke Trump drinks. Now, I just I, I don't like to get into the everything we compare Ob- Obama to, to Trump and how the media uh, does what they're doing and everything else. Right. But uh, let's just understand. Could you imagine if a major news network did it did a, a segment in the middle of the day on a busy news day about how Obama smokes cigarettes and how bad that is for his health? It, it would just be weird. Right. I'm, I'm not saying they couldn't do it. I'm not saying that this is. But I just. Why? And they're referring to an article that I read over the weekend that was in the New York Times. They didn't get a chance to talk to me yesterday. And in it, they're like, Trump drinks a lot of Diet Coke, eats a lot of, is it Mickey D's, Tyrone? Or is it, yes, Mickey D's, fast food in general, and uh, watches eight hours of TV a day. I got a few things. Ty, do you think, I, I do not believe... First of all, two things. I do not believe he drinks 12 Diet Cokes a day, and I do not believe he watches eight hours of TV a day. I'm not saying he doesn't drink a lot of Diet Coke or watch a lot of TV, but that's just too much. Eight sounds excessive. <laughs> right? but, like, but, well, it means he's not doing anything else while he's awake. Right, but, but his Twitter tells me that four, th- that one I believe. Oh, I think I think he probably has on. I mean, look, I, I work in the media. He's actually a media guy. I bet he's got monitors on. You know, all day, wherever he is, and he's watching what's going on in the news cycle on and off. But, you know, there's all I think it's unfair because my guess is that they're counting where he's sitting and talking to people on the TV is on. You know, there's like watching and there's watching, but they're trying to create the New York Times and then this CNN piece. They're trying to create a uh, a situation where they think of Trump is like the ultimate couch potato. You know, Trump is like Homer Simpson in the White House. You know, he's just sitting there like rubbing his belly, eating a dozen Big Macs, drinking 100 Diet Cokes and and just doing nothing but watching TV. I think it's a little unfair, Tyrone. It is. (laughs) Can you drink 12 Diet Cokes every day? First of all, I'm I'm just going to say it right now. I am not a believer in like the artificial sweeteners that they have in those things. I don't. You know, I don't care what anybody says. You should not be ingesting stuff that your body thinks is sugar that's not sugar. I just think that's a bad idea. I also just, ugh, I don't know. I'm, I, look, I don't drink soda. Uh, maybe I'm uh, putting this something out there now, folks. I know I literally do. I'm not saying I don't. I don't drink soda like it's a religious issue, but I do not drink it. I'll drink carbonated water, meaning seltzer or whatever fancy you know versions of it you can get. Pellegrino. 
Now, now, now it sounds like I need to eat some Big Macs and drink some Diet Coke. So I'm not a man of the people anymore. Well, I, I'll just say I, I also don't drink soda and also do the sparkling water. So at least you know you're not alone. Thank you. Yeah, no. And Ty's a pescatarian, by the way. Amy, you can just give me thumbs up, thumbs down. Diet Coke, do you drink it? Thumbs down from, from producer Amy. She's having none of it. Yeah, I, I think it's gross. But here's, here's the more salient political fact, I think. And that is that there, uh, there are two problems there, or two things the media is trying to deal with simultaneously when it comes to Trump and this New York Times profile that was just Trump is a buffoonish couch potato. That's what they were trying to say. And they're like, he's, all he does is watch TV, eat Big Macs and drink Coke. On the one hand, they clearly have disdain for him and for some of these habits that he has, right? The editorial board of the New York Times and the other people that write for these magazines. You know, they're very much people who say, oh, they're gluten-free. I'm like, whoa, leave the celiac community out of this. But, you know, they they're, they like their farm-to-table and they're sustainable and organic and all that stuff. So Trump offends their sensibilities in that way. But here's the thing, Ty. Trump... Doing those activities they talk about, eating Big Macs, drinking Coke, watching TV, does seem like an everyday guy, which does lend some credibility to is he actually at least at some level can understand what everyday people are like in a way that these media elites, uh, media elites can't. I, I totally agree. I'm surprised they don't focus on some of the idiosyncrasies with his personality, the third person thing and, and that kind of stuff, because that is what separates him from regular people. Instead, they, like you just said, they literally humanize them more. And if you're working against them, why would you do that? Because tons of people, I mean, there's, there's a lot of McDonald's around. Yeah. If the New York Times strategy is to make people think that the president it, likes fast food, television, and drinking soda, uh, that's, that sounds like a lot of America to me, which is fine. But the point is that the New York Times doesn't understand that this isn't, they look at this with disdain, and the rest of America is like, so you're telling us Trump's an American. Also, this tells me that the president is a genetic freak. The fact that he can eat like that at his age and have that level of energy. Imagine what he could have done. He probably could have played pro sports. I'm not even joking. Genetically, Trump might be superior to all of us. I'm not even no joke. Trump is like a cyborg from the future. Because he does eat a lot of that McDonald's. to save us. 70 years old. (laughs) And I mean, when you see him at those rallies, he's full of energy. Yeah. How does he do it? He's a, no, he's amazing. I've never seen people, for whatever you think of his style and everything else, his in-person, and I, I honestly wish that I had had the opportunity in the campaign trail to go and see it, uh, but his in-person rallies, what he puts out there for a guy over 70 years old, I mean, he's getting caffeine from somewhere. Maybe it is the Diet Cokes. I'm serious, and I, and I hope people don't t- take, the listeners think that's a joke. No, I really mean that. For him to eat the things that Apparently he eats because, I mean, he kind of the McDonald's is just kind of true. The, the Diet Cokes might not be true and have this much energy at that age. He's different. Yeah, no, he's 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 definitely different. Tyrone. He's an amazing guy. Uh, anyway, I just think it's interesting that the CNN runs a story on how much soda the president drinks. And the New York Times writes a piece about how Trump is a couch potato. And what they don't realize is, one, it makes everyone think, wow, fake news. And two, it makes a lot of other folks think, OK, so. Trump is just a normal guy. You know what? That helps Trump a lot because he is a normal guy. We'll be right back. Hey, I, I hope you've enjoyed our discussion of the election down in Alabama tonight. I know it's been, uh, been quite a day, quite a lot going on. I figure we could, as we tend to do, close with a story. Well, first I was going to close with a story about 
something that I thought was was kind of nice today. And, uh, you know, it shows you that sometimes social media can can work out for somebody. So and then we'll get into some team buck speaks. There is a uh, a young woman, professional tennis player named Eugenie Bouchard. I am not familiar with her, even though I actually do like professional tennis. Um, but she, she is uh, uh, she's considered to be very beautiful and has you know an enormous social media following. And a while back, a guy just randomly uh, randomly tweeted at her. Now remember, she has over a million Twitter followers. So what are the chances? She is a, a tennis star with an enormous uh, pu- you know public pr- uh, well social media presence and a large public uh, profile. And a 23-year-old, oh, she's 23, and this guy who is a, a, a student, a college student named John Gerke, uh, basically asked her on Twitter, did you guys, do you guys know what I'm talking about with this one, by the way? Asked her on Twitter if somebody, I forget who it was, if someone wins the Super Bowl or something like that. Oh, yeah, it had to do with the Super Bowl and the Patriots and the Falcons, but will you go out with me? They had a bet over the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. And she, uh, this this tennis star, responded, yeah, sure. And just this week, they went on their second date. Hey, who knew? So this random college student, good for him, man. This is, I think of all these phrases that we're told as young men growing up, uh, you know, well, things like faint hearts never never win fair ladies and things like that. This guy just went for it on... Uh, went for it on in, on Twitter, and now sh- she is showing the two of them together in Instagram snaps. So it's a little, you know, a little holiday cheer. You, know, you never, you never really know what's possible. I guess there's always the chance that if you ask out your celebrity crush, maybe in fact it'll all work out work out for you. So with that, now into some uh, team buck speaks. I should note, really going to want to hear what you think about tonight's election results tomorrow and for the rest of the week. So official team buck at gmail.com and facebook.com slash buck sexton. If you want to get in touch with us over that. All right. Robert writes in the following. Hey, buck OSS member here. Just wanted to drop you a line and say that I really like Tyrone's addition to the show. Great voice. I enjoy some of the back and forth. And I like his commentary when he gives it kudos to him and great job on the new show. Tyrone, the, the people have spoken time and time again. They they like they like Tyrone. I, I really appreciate it. You you never know with a new audience. You you never know. So I, I will say feeling. this, you know, because you especially when you weigh it on sports, a lot of people think they know a lot about sports, and so the bar for being willing to hear someone's sports analysis, I think, is pretty high. Yes. you know what I'm saying. Like everyone thinks they can explain who's going to win the next big game, and particularly on some of your sports slash political analysis, we we've gotten a lot of people writing in like, "Wow, Ty really knows his stuff with that." So I'd say, you know, it's not like you're calling in and having a long discourse about Keynesian economics, where people would just assume that whatever we're talking about is true. Right. With sports, you got to get over the like, "Well, I think I know about sports too." No, so I, I really appreciate it. I'm shocked and I'm very thankful. Yeah. Well, there you go. Tyrone is an essential part of the show. As is producer Amy, but she's a little shy about coming on air. Occasionally, occasionally we can coax her to, to say a few words on, on air. But generally speaking, she is content with producing the show and making sure that all the trains are on the tracks here. Or as she can keep this train on the track as much as possible. 
uh, and that we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Thomas writes in with the following buck. I thoroughly enjoy your contributions to the important discussions about terror. Would like to introduce you to my novel about embedded terrorists using weaponized micro drones. I would love the opportunity to discuss this topic. Here's my press kit. All right, Thomas. Well, congrats on the novel. And uh, I like the hustle, reaching out to a radio host and just being like, hey, let's talk about my book. Um, and, hey, man, I, I get it. I'm going to be publishing a book, and I'm going to be reaching out to everybody, too. So good on you. I'll take a look at what you've sent me, and uh, maybe we'll be able to get you on the show here and talk. Although I don't, to be fair, I generally don't have novelists on the show just because it's not really what we do. Um, more nonfiction here, but nonetheless. Melissa writes in with the following Dear Buck, although I respect his expertise, I have a problem with Dr. Atlas's evaluation that obesity is as voluntary a condition as is smoking or the like. I'm sure his analysis was in general, but as someone with multiple health conditions, that led me to becoming obese. I beg to differ, Melissa. Uh, well, Melissa, look, I'm not a, a health uh, expert. I'm not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on radio. Um, I, I think that he was referring to it, and this is a problem you can often run into in, in in any number of policy discussions, but I think what he was, Dr. Atlas was trying to refer to is in general, there is a behavioral component that is tied to obesity, which is a major health concern in this country. But I will also tell you from my pretty extensive reading on the subject that we are not nearly uh, educated enough as a general rule in this country. I'm sure it's true in others, but I can only speak to America on this one about the role that genetics plays in health, in weight, in uh, physical ability. Genetics is is enormously important in that. And bodies do process calories differently, metabolic rates. We're not we're not, you know, we're not all born with the same height when we grow and we don't all have the same metabolic rate. So it, it is an oversimplification and I would say that even if Dr. Atlas were here, I think he would agree with me, though. It's an oversimplification to say that weight is just a function of behavior. It's just not true. And in fact, there are a series and I am blanking on the name of the of the guy who gives them. And I'll try to remember. Um, but he's very big in the paleo community and he talks about insulin, uh, insulin resistance and the role of genetics in this. And, and he walks through historical examples of people who are actually malnourished, but were still obese. And, and, and I mean, in, in tribal cultures where food was scarce, how is it possible that somebody could be obese in a place where food is scarce? Well, it had to do with a both genetic predisposition to and a physical state of insulin resistance, as well as the diet, what is in the diet, you know, starchy carbs that can be broken down quickly. Dr. Lee, who is one of our OSS uh, listeners here on the show, original Saturday squad, maybe we'll get her to call in because she's a legit doctor and all this stuff, PhD in microbiology. I just like to have Dr. Lee call in because she gets to rattle off all these degrees that are like real degrees that are very impressive. So, Dr. Lee, I know you're well, hope you're listening. I know you're usually listening. Maybe call in on Friday and we can talk a bit about the reality of genetics and weight and insulin resistance and uh, all the, all the rest of it. But uh, I take the I take the uh, listener's point, and I, and I would agree with Melissa here that it's a it's much more complicated than just behavior, and there's a scientific basis for that. Uh, Denny writes in the following: Hi, Buck. In Florida, we do the stingray shuffle to be av to avoid being stung at the beach. 
do you think the carpet shark shuffle will help ward off carpet sharks? Shields high, Denny. I don't know, man. Those carpet sharks, they come at you and they don't take no for an answer. You know what I mean? They latch on. They're very, they, they, they sight in on your ankle. It's like they've got a little EOTech or something and they go right for the ankle and they grab whatever uh, clothing fabric they can. They hold on. They start growling. And you're in that weird spot because do you really, you know, how much fight can you really put up against a carpet shark? Do you look like a bully? You know, you got to watch out. Everybody. Carpet sharks are everywhere. You got to keep that in mind. All right. With that uh, bit of completely useless and, uh, and joking wisdom, I will say we're going to close up the Freedom Hut for today. Please do send us your thoughts. Like I said, email is a great way to do it. Officialteambuck at gmail.com. Also, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to buy some gear, Christmas is coming up. BuckSexton.com. We've got T-shirts and hats up there. And, of course, uh, as you're making your holiday gift decisions, please do consider checking out our sponsors. But make sure you use the promo codes that I'm reading off during the show, Crate Club, Nine Line, and others. Uh, so thank you, as always, for joining hanging out here. I'm actually off to go hang out with my little sister for uh, dinner. We're going to have a bro-sis feast, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, she's a lawyer, so it's always good to have a lawyer in the family. You know, if things get a little, things get a little tricky. I can call sis, which is very helpful. So uh, I'm going to run off and do that. We will certainly have more after election analysis tomorrow. Until then, my friends, you know your orders, no matter what happens. Shields high.